fantastic church, and it's my privilege to bring the Word of God to you today. We've come into His presence with praise and singing, and now it's time to stand before the Word of God. You know, we don't ever stand before the Word of God to examine it. It stands to examine us. And so we come to a passage this morning that that's exactly what is going to happen. Now, as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bible or, or uh, in your device, let me remind you of something. Context is everything. Context means everything when you're studying the Word of God. You want to know the context to which uh, this particular verse or this particular book, whatever it is, is written. And Brother Jamie's helped us to understand that context is very imperative, especially with the verses we'll look at this morning, to be reminded of this. This book, this letter, was written to Jewish believers in Christ. Okay, they came out of Judaism, they accepted Christ as the Messiah, and they became his Lord, their Lord and Savior. And he's been, they've been serving him uh, tremendously, but a great persecution has arisen. And it's really getting tougher and tougher by the day. They're, they're, they're suffering. They're losing property. They're losing their lives. And some of them are being tempted to go back into the old way. They were saying, hey, we were tempted bad enough being Jews. But now as Christians, we're being doubly uh, persecuted. And so we might have been better off. And so the, the book of Hebrews is written to say, there's nothing to go back to. There's nothing to go back to. Christ is better than anything we had in our old way of life. And so these, the book is put together in a fantastic way to, to lift up Christ for who he really is, but also give some rather stern warnings to those who are not willing to live in that, to work in that reality. So I want to show you how this is divided up. There are Six, what's called Christological passages. What that means is a big word. They just lift up who Jesus Christ is. And that he's better. He's better than the old way, the covenant. He's better than Moses. He's better than the priest. He's our high priest. All of these wonderful things that we've been learning through Hebrews. And interspersed between these are five very stern warning passages. So I want you just to see this. Hold your hand up like this. Hold your hand up like this. Hold your hand up like this. Thank you. All right. These are the five warning passages. So before, between, and after each of these are the strong Christological passages. Okay? Put your hand back down. Now, so we're working really on number four now. So as, as Jamie's taken us through these, the first one from Hebrews 2 is we tend to, when we don't follow who Christ really is, we're not growing in our faith, we tend to drift from the Word of God. And as we continue to drift from the Word of God, we'll grow to doubt the Word of God. And as we drift and doubt the Word of God, then we'll become dull to the hearing of the Word of God. We're lazy about the Word of God. And these result in where we are today, to where we begin to despise the Word of God. Now, you say, that's a strong, strong phrase. I never just despise the Bible. Well, we may do it in our actions, even though we might never do it with our words. And this is about the heart of the matter. So we're going to be dealing with that today. So take in your Bibles, chapter 10 of Hebrews, and we're going to read a passage and deal with it. This first passage is part of the Christological passage. This is the good stuff, all right? These are the things that the writer wants you to know that gives us an incredible boldness to just live in the presence of God. So let's stand with me, if you will, from the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and we'll start reading at verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, 
Now, remember what I always tell you about that word? You ask yourself a question. You remember what it is? You say, what's the therefore, therefore? Okay? The therefore is always to point to what's before it. And before it is all these things about who Christ is as our great high priest. So with all that being said, that's what the therefore is there. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated before us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. The house of God is believers, okay? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some, but exhorting one another as the, all, as the matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, you who caused these words to be written, and you hovered over them now through centuries, and now we stand before them unchanged, the same word that was spoken way back then, Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us into an understanding of how the words apply to our lives today. And we believe you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated, please. Now, what we have in these verses is a gracious invitation. And it's, it's just the most gracious invitation that you can imagine. Please understand this. No one in the Old Testament ever had an invitation to come into the presence of Almighty God and stay there. Nobody. Moses didn't have that opportunity. Uh, David never had that opportunity. But because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you and I get the opportunity to do this. See, the high priest, the high priest, not just a priest, but the high priest only one time a year, was he allowed to go into the temple, into the holiest part of the temple, and there he could only stay for a short period of time. He had to go through all these ritual washings and all these prayers and all these things first, and he was in there just long enough to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and then to leave. But listen to me. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, the blood of Christ is so effective in my life and yours we get to do what no Old Testament saint would have ever dreamed of being able to do. We get to enter into the presence of God and just stay there. Just enjoy that opportunity. And so, because of what Christ has done, we have a boldness. That we can do this. We can enter. Well, we know that, that in our own sinful self, we don't have any right to be there. But because of what Christ has done for us, we can come boldly into that throne room and always find grace and mercy before the Lord. So, with that being true, we have these three invitations. Now, you can underline them. There are these lettuce passages. Remember, Brother Jamie had the lettuce up here? And there were three lettuce passages that he dealt with earlier. Well, now we got three more. Three more lettuce passages. And they're, they're very simply this. It's let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. K 
key in each and every one of these is we get to live in the presence of the creator and sustainer of this universe. Now, I want you to just sit in that for a moment because we can kind of grow ho-hum with that. Oh, yeah, everybody knows that. But you're not letting that sink in. Let that sink in. We have no right and privilege of our own, not even being Americans. We have no right and privilege to enter into the throne room of holy God. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to do this. This, this is an honor unthinkable for anybody in all of the Old Testament and even into the early days of Christ. But the effectiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. When he hung on the cross and his body was torn as he died, God did something phenomenal. in the book of Mark. It says inside the temple, that, that veil, that veil which was like 26 feet wide, four inches thick, and reached all the way to the roof, it was torn in two from the top to the bottom, exposing the holy place to all eyes. Why would God do something like this? Because everything that would hinder us from coming into his presence has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we get to be there. Sit in that a minute. Don't let that grow common in your mind. Always let that amaze you because it's an incredible privilege. And this happens because Christ is the new and living way. We have this boldness. So let's look at these three lettuce passages that, that he says, let us do these three things. So I'll be very brief with this. First of all, in your notes, we have unlimited access. Unlimited access. That's verses 19 through 22. Now the priest, even if they were just a Levite priest and they were to come into the, the court of the Levites or even into the holy place, not the holiest place, but the holy place, they had to go through all of these preparations first. They had to prepare their heart and their mind and their body. They had to do these washings and do these various sacrifices to where they would be covered to where they could come close to the presence of God. Listen to me very carefully. Don't take lightly coming to worship. We must always prepare ourselves to come into the presence of God. Don't let coming into this church be, oh, we're going to church again. No. You're not coming to stand before a pastor. You're not coming to stand with your friends. You're coming to stand before the eternal creator and sustainer of this universe. And so, Psalms tells us that those who are going to draw near to God, they have to have clean hands and a pure heart. First John tells us that we have to come into his presence being purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We've got to prepare before we come before him. We've got to prepare in our hearts. We've got to be sure that we've confessed all of the sin that we know in our own life. And that we're up to date in every way with God. That there is nothing that in any way hinders our fellowship. That's the secret of a really successful worship time, folks. That's the, the, the secret to really getting something out of church because we're prepared before we get here. And so we, 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 need to have, we have this unlimited access, but we don't want to take it for granted. The, the New Testament Christian 
has to prepare before they come before the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. And then we can sense his presence, we can glory in his presence, and we can really worship deep in our soul. We have unlimited access. Secondly, we have an unparalleled hope. An unparalleled hope. Hope is a common theme in Hebrews all the way through. That we have the hope of his coming. We have the hope that the city he's preparing for us is a city not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Everything is about hope. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that here at Ebenezer, we build everything we do on that hope acronym. Because hope is central to who we are and how we serve him and how we even prepare to come before him. He says you're going to hold on to your confession of hope. Now, some of your Bibles may say faith, okay? And that's a very loose translation of that word. The best translation and where it is almost every other time in the Bible is the word hope. Hold on to your confession of hope. Hold on to what it is we hope for, that Christ is coming, that he's here with us, even when we're being persecuted, even when we're going through the worst of times. He's here with us. We are in his presence. Hold on to that hope. It's essential. It's essential. For the Jews, this was so important. Because remember, if you're an Old Testament Jew, what is your hope? Your hope is that the Messiah is going to come one day, right? And so all of the Old Testament, you know, saints, they were looking forward to Christ coming, to, to the Messiah coming. Well, then he came, and those Jews who placed their faith in him, now they're saved and redeemed, and, and the one that they've been hoping for has arrived, and he's alive in their midst by means of his Holy Spirit. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, what are you going to go back to? What is it back there that was living in hope? Now this hope has arrived. What do you want to go back to? The old sacrificial system? You want to go to keeping all the rules and the regulations? Is that what you want to go with? There's nothing you can go back to that is better than what has come, the new, in Jesus Christ. So instead of looking forward to Christ coming, he's come. We look forward to him coming again. We look forward to all of the promises that he's made to us coming to fruition. There's nothing to go back to. Can I pause a minute? I've got to chase a quick rabbit because if I don't, the Lord's going to whip me when I get home. What is it out of your old life that you tend to go back to when the pressure's on? What is it in your old life that, that you tend to go back to when the persecution or the pressure or things get really, really tough. You know, in, in, in my old life, when things weren't going right, I got it by the throat and made it right. I'd get my hands on it. I'd make it work. That's what I tend to drop back to. So my, my, my temptation is when, when things aren't going the way we should or the persecution is on or the pressure is on for whatever or God ain't doing what I want him to do when I want him to do it, Come on, don't pretend with me. I know some of you too well. <laughs> My tendency is, well, I'll fix this. I'll get a hold of this. I'll make this right. I'm, I'm, I'm Freddie Fixer. I can make this happen. I tend to want to go back to that. And you know something? Every time I do, I mess it up worse than it was before I got a hold of it. Because God's saying, I've got this. 
you can't fix this. I've got this. Let me have it. Chill. Rest in me. And let me handle this in my time and in my way. And so I have to drop, I have to drop back. I, I can't go to that old way of life. I can't go back to pushing and making things happen. I've got to let God be God and do things in his time and in his way and trust him in that. But that's that temptation. What is it in your life that you're tempted to go back to when things get tough? Maybe you always went to alcohol. Maybe you always went to profanity and expressing your power over people. What is it that's your knee-jerk that you always went back to in that old way of life? That's what these Jews were feeling. So you need to listen to what this is saying because it's talking to us. We have this incredible, unparalleled hope. And the third thing, we have this unfathomable worship, a fellowship. He says, consider one another. Let me tell you something. The closer you draw to God, the closer he's going to draw you to others who have drawn to God. You and I were never created to do our spiritual lives in our own power and individually. We were meant to do this in community. The church is of unparalleled importance to God. Now, no church is, is perfect. Our church is not perfect. Our ministers are not perfect. I know one of them for sure that's not. It's not about that. We need church. I draw an incredible inspiration and strength from you. And what you're going through in life and how God is giving you the courage to handle it, and you draw strength from me because of things I'm going through in my life and how God is seeing me through it. And we draw strength from one another that we can trust God and he's going to get us through this, whatever it is. And the darker the days, the more it is we need the church. Now, the temptation is when things is not going well and I'm stumbling and fumbling and falling to withdraw from the church. And what happens? We get isolated over here in this corner and Satan has a heyday with this is when we need to draw more to, to, than ever to one another. And the writer here is saying, some of you are, are skipping out on church because the persecution is so tough. And you think you can go hide in the shadows of the old way of life. You need one another. We need one another to lean on one another and pray for one another. And encourage one another and strengthen one another and teach one another and admonish one another. and All them one another's in the Bible. That happens here in church. So he says we've got this incredible fellowship that is key to us. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Do not wait till Sunday morning when you wake up and see if you feel like coming to church. I guarantee you, <laughs> you won't. You won't feel like it, and you won't go. No, Saturday night, you make it a foregone conclusion that in the morning, your butt's going to be in this pew because this is where you belong. You see, Satan ain't got a chance when you make the decision ahead of time. And home is where I'm going to be. And this is your spiritual home. And if this is not your spiritual home, go hunt you one, all right? But we want to be that. We want to be that for you. And so 
when all this pressure is coming on and it's so tempting to go back to an old way of life and all of this, there are things that we get to hold on to. We get to draw near to the very heart of God. We get to hold on to the hope that he's given us. And then hold on to one another. That's what enables us to get through. So all of this we have because of what Christ has done for us. Now, here's the question, and here's where we have to change gears. What about the person who chooses not to grow in their faith, who chooses to treat church as a smorgasbord? I'll have some of this. I don't like that. Have some of this. Don't like that. What about the person who, even though God has paid the cost of his own dear son's blood, is continuing to live the same old life that God has saved them out of. Now the theme changes because you go from this great encouragement time to a rather severe warning. Go back to your Bibles. Time to do business. Begin with verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy? One who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, say, whoo, you need to, to pause and sit in that. This is the unimaginable warning. Here's what happens when you, first of all, drift from the Word. You begin to doubt the Word. You grow dull and lazy towards the Word. You're going to get to where you despise the Word. That's the warning we're dealing with here today. This is about, look in verse 26, to sin willfully. The the tense of that verb right there is to continually sin in a a planned way. This this is not accidentally doing something wrong. This is not just slipping up and saying a bad word. No. In Exodus, the covenant that was made for the sacrificial system to cover the sins of the people, was accidental, inadvertent, oops kind of sins. They were called sins with the low hand because you might just bump somebody with the hand as you're going in a crowd or whatever. But there was a distinction made for a sin with the high hand because the sin with the high hand was purposeful. You lifted your hand to draw back and lay it on somebody. And in the Old Testament system of sacrifice, there was no sacrifice that would cover Willful, planned, premeditated, determined sin. There was none. King David knew this. 
King David willfully, purposefully, with, without any accident to it whatsoever, had sexual relations with another man's wife. And she got pregnant. And he covered it up by being all magnanimous and everything like that. He covered it up. Until God revealed it to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan came and got in David's face. And David then was convicted of his sin. But Psalm 51 says he didn't go to the temple to offer sacrifices. Why? Because there was no sacrifice that would cover that. That was sin with a high hand. This was in your face, God. I know it's wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway. Now, I'm not talking about lost people. I'm not talking about unsaved people. These are believers in Jesus Christ, just like us. There was no sacrifice to cover that sin. Nowhere in the whole sacrificial system, not enough bulls, not enough lambs. No, there wasn't enough. Because it was that intentional, willful sin. Now listen to me. Jesus came to pay the ultimate price. The only sacrifice that could cover all sins that men could ever do. He did. And you and I are saved by that blood. That power that covers and eradicates sin. So for you and I to continually, willfully live in disobedience, we spit in the face of Christ. We count his sacrifice as nothing. We wipe our feet in the blood of Christ. And insult Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is that unforgivable sin. That's what you and I do. When even though we're saved, we live in a continual, purposeful, I'm going to do this even though I know it's wrong. And the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And he's saying, look, for those of you who are going to try to draw back and do life on your own and do it on your own terms, when you're going to live life the way you lived before I, God gave his great sacrifice for you and you received Christ into your life, you are absolutely spitting in the face of God. And listen, you're going to have to stand before him either in this life or when he takes you home. You've got to understand that happens. If he has to, he'll take you home. If he can't deal with you here, he'll take you home. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, there, there's some of you that have been living in continual willful sin, and now they're dead. John says the same thing in 1 John. There is a sinning that is going to lead to death. And that's not the punishment. That's God taking you home so he can straighten you out. Valeria was frantic one day. The boys were small. She was still carrying Jonathan. And uh, the boys were just being whatever. And so she, she, she called me. They were at the pool. I came, I, I came there to, uh, to get them. And, and they were just 
they'd stepped on her last nerve, okay? And so I piled them all in the car, and I said, boys, just wait till I get you home. Well, you could hear some of the sniffling in the back seat. We got in the carport, the doors opened, bam, they shot into the house. I went in looking for them, found them in the back bedroom in the closet praying. Because <laughs> they knew Daddy was coming. And there was something that had to be paid. Well, I want you to know that softened me enough, but it didn't take it away. God says, I'll deal with you here by correction, discipline, chastening if necessary. And if you won't change, if you won't come back to me for mercy, I'll snatch you out of this world and take you where I can deal with you. Do you hear me? Are you listening? This is for those who willfully, continually, purposefully live in defiance of God. The illustrations given here are the children of Israel in the wilderness. They continued to disbelieve God, to disobey Moses and the commandments. And what happened to them? How many of those that left Egypt ended up going into the promised land? Anybody know? Who, what Bible student can tell me? Two. Just two. What happened to all the rest of them? They died in the wilderness for their unbelief, for their rebellion, for their conscious, in-your-face defiance of God. Listen to me very carefully. This is not written to sinners. This is not talking about what happens to sinful folks when they refuse to accept Christ. This is talking about God's children who will disobey and not grow in their faith and not serve when they're supposed to, what God has to do to discipline His people. This may be you today. This may be you today. And the Scripture tells us that those who do this go into perdition. Now, perdition doesn't necessarily mean hell. It means wastefulness. Wastefulness. You just waste your life because God saved you for a purpose. He saved you for you to grow in your relationship to Him and be of service to the world around you. And to continue to just try to be a spectator. You're denying what God has called you to be and do. Can I tell you a story? It has to do with this. Some of you are wondering what in the world this is. Well, this is a very beat up and battered, precious piece of wood. In my early days here as your pastor, in the early 80s, I was working myself crazy here trying to serve you and be what everybody expected me to be, and I was killing myself. One of our sweet men at that time, named Frank Boyles, lived right over here across the road. How many of you remember Papa Frank? Let me see your hands go up. Quite a few of you do. If you're old enough, been around here long enough. Had a very successful business. But his joy, his love, was working in his wood shop. He called it his disaster area. It was anything but, but that's what he called it. He told me one day after church, he said, you need to get away. <laughs> You need to do something that has nothing to do with church. You need to have some time that you can just create something. So I went over to his place. He said, let's build stuff. I said, all right. We built a few things. And then he said, 
Why don't we build a step stool for Valeria? I've noticed she's a little short. She's been vertically challenged all her life. I said, yeah, that'd be good. He said, why don't we build something that hasn't got a screw or a nail in it anywhere, that is all mortise jointed and wooden pegs? I said, can we do that? He said, yeah, we can. So I said, all right, let's do that. So he stepped back and he pointed up on the upper shelf. He said, get me that die up there on that top shelf. So I got the ladder and went over there and climbed up there, and I got that die down, and I set it on the workbench. But he was still looking at the shelf. I said, Papa Frank, what is it? He said, that's where God put me. I said, what? He said, for years, my church asked me to help with this, serve by doing this, be a part of this. And I had my business, and I had my family, and all those things, and, and I just said, no, 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 no. And they came to me one time and asked me to be a deacon. I said, no. And God said, okay, that's enough. You're going on the shelf. Frank looked for purpose in his life and couldn't find it. He looked for meaning and opportunities and they wouldn't come. He would even ask his pastor, the one before me, from, is there something I can do? Is there something I can do? Because God had him in a disciplining place. God put him on a shelf. And finally, Frank realized what was going on. He said, I came to God and said, God, I want to be totally yours. I promise you I'll never say no again. And the first year that I came as pastor, Frank was asked to serve as a deacon. And he said, yes. We ordained him. And this was the next year. He said, Fred, I lost all meaning in my life. I was wasting my life. I was not fulfilling the purpose for which God had redeemed me. I was living for me, not really understanding that I was to give my life back to God. Some of you here today are going through not the devil tempting you, but God's hand of judgment in your life. God's chastening and disciplining in your life. You want to blame it on the devil. But the reason's right here. The reason's right there in your heart. Because God has sought to use you, He sought to redeem you, to cleanse you, and put you in active service, doing something worthwhile for the kingdom of God, and you sit there like a knot on a log, or maybe you've told him no, or maybe there's a continual, perpetual sin in your life that you refuse to let go of. Here's what this passage is about. It's not about lost people going to hell. This isn't about losing your salvation. This is about having to stand before God after you've spit in His face.
The Bible here says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Today you can run to those hands that are full of mercy and grace and can cleanse you from whatever's going on. Can bring you back as it did Frank and put you into service into his kingdom. To make you useful and purposeful of the kingdom. You can come to those hands. Or you can defy him a little longer until you come to the hands of judgment. You don't lose your salvation. But you go to hell before you get to heaven. He'll drag you through it. Why? Because he loves you that much. Because he gave his own son's blood to redeem you. And by living in that old way of life, what you're doing is saying, the old is better than the new. It's not. There's nothing in your old way of life that can stand a chance to be what Christ can be for you today. So, I want you to think of two things as we close our service out. Is there something in my old way of life of doing things that I'm tempted to go back to? Whatever it happens to be, I invite you to come to the altar and say, God, I don't want to go back to that. There's nothing in my old life that can satisfy me. I've tried all that before I came to you. So I want to abandon that. And it's just you, God. Just you. Or maybe there's been a willful rebellion in your life that perpetually you've been saying no to what Holy Spirit's been trying to tell you is you need to deal with. And today, Holy Spirit has allowed me to bring this before you. Maybe you even come to this altar and say, God, I want to confess and repent. I've been willful. I want to come to your hands of mercy and grace. I don't want to stand before your hands of judgment. I want to deal with this now to where when I come before you face to face it'll be with clean hands and a pure heart. Will you pray with me please? Father God I ask you to release Holy Spirit into our hearts and if there's anything that has troubled us anything that stood between our relationship God if there's any sin that I haven't confessed of if anything I haven't repented of Lord, if there's been a, a stubbornness in my life that I just haven't released, if I've said no, 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 God, I want to deal with that now. I want to deal with that right now. Whether in the pews or at the altar, I want to deal with this now. So, Holy Spirit, we say yes to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.